Some of you might have heard this song, I Can Only Imagine. Has anyone here heard that song before? Or maybe even seen the movie to that, the name of that song? It, it was written by a man named Bart Millard. And Bart Millard had a very troubled and difficult childhood, particularly with his father. There, he grew up in a very abusive situation. But after some years, um, the Lord did an amazing and wonderful work in Bart Millard's father, Arthur. And there was an um, amazing work of restoration that happened, that Arthur turned to the Lord with all of his heart and repented for his sins and repented for the ways in which he had failed as a father and failed as a person and created such an abusive household. And he turned to the Lord with all of his heart and turned back to his son as well. And they had a, a beautiful reconciliation and restoration of their relationship. Unfortunately, Arthur had cancer, and so he died. And after that had happened, it, of course, broke Bart's, son, uh, Bart's heart. And so as he was writing music, he wrote the words to the song, I can only imagine what it'll be like when I walk by your side as, as a glimpse and looking into heaven to see that beautiful day of reconciliation and restoration when he'll be with Jesus, but also with his father whom he had reconciled with. Friends, God is a God of restoration and God is a God of reconciliation. And I don't know what situation or circumstance that you might be in today, but I want you to know that as God is inviting us into a season of rebuilding, that he is able to do a work of restoration in your personal life, in your family, in our church community, in whatever area that you're seeking the Lord for. In, in some of the most famous songs that we have sung before, for example, It Is Well or Amazing Grace, they're they are founded in stories of reconciliation, stories of restoration. Stories in which people come back to Jesus and realize the truth and power of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, almost 200 years ago, there was a missionary by the name of John Williams. He was probably one of the most uh, famous and well-known missionaries at the time, and even for many years afterwards, he had gone to an island in the Pacific called Aramango. And he had known that there were cannibals in there, but him and his missionary friend, um, uh, John Harris, they had gone on to the, to the shores of that island. And as they entered in, he had gone to many other islands and shared the gospel and shared the love of Jesus. But as he had gone into that island, they, as he came on the shores, these uh, people from the island of Aramango came. They were cannibals. They came and killed him and ate him. And such a, a sudden end to a life. 170 years later, Canadians, descendants of John Williams, had some of his artifacts and wanted to find out what can I do with these artifacts, who can I give them to? And so they decided to give them to um, uh, a university, a museum in BC. And as this process started, they, the process started of something that was even bigger as they contacted some of the descendants of the cannibals that had killed John Williams in Aramango. And to make a long story short, they had decided to have a day of reconciliation. It happened in 2009. And they got together, they, the, the, the family, the descendants of John Williams flew out to that island 
and the descendants of those cannibals as well came there to ask for forgiveness, to in a sense rebuild an altar and to have a time of reconciliation. And they did that with weeping and tears and crying. And, and some of the relatives of John Williams said, I, I didn't think that I would be emotional or anything. It happened 170 years ago. But as they went through that process, the raw emotion to see the attitude of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. And at one point in that, in that ceremony, there was a, a young girl, the daughter of one of the families, that was given over as an act, a symbolic act, a life for a life. And that young girl was given over to the descendants of John Williams with the understanding that she would be returned as well, but given over as a symbolic act to their family, a life for a life, and then returned, but also with the understanding that now they have a commitment to her so that she would grow up to be uh, a young woman with whatever she needed to be successful. Friends, God is in the work and business of reconciliation. He is in the work and business of restoration. He is in the work and business of healing and rebuilding. And as we've come into this series and the season of rebuilding, the Lord is inviting us. The Lord is asking us, and I want to encourage you, don't let this season go by. I want to encourage you that if you feel in these days a little bit lukewarm, if you feel a little bit distant from Jesus, if you feel a, a little bit like, I don't know where my spiritual life is going, if you feel like, I don't even know what the purpose of all of this is, don't let this season go by. Take advantage of the opportunity of the invitation. Take advantage of the opportunity, the invitation to rebuild, to reconcile, to reunite, to restore, there's lots of those words up here in this graphic. You can take time to read that. So as we're, as we're going through this, this series uh, on Ezra and Nehemiah, just want to give a little bit of overview of recap where we are. So the Israelites were taken into Babylon because of their disobedience, as we talked about last week, that they weren't celebrating the Sabbath years and so much other disobedience that happened. They were taken into Babylon. Jeremiah, the prophet, he prophesied and said, for 70 years, you're going to be in captivity. But after those 70 years are fulfilled, then I'm going to come and restore you back to the promised land. And so God moved upon the hearts of heathen kings. God put upon the hearts of, of heathen kings to let Israel go. Similar to like how you heard some of that phrasing in the book of Exodus when the Israel, Israelites were in their first captivity in the land of Egypt and God came and brought them out of the land of Egypt and into the promised land. In a very similar way, God moved upon the hearts of heathen kings and said, let Israel go. And particularly, God put into the hearts of certain leaders, Ezra, a scribe, wanting to come and teach the people the word of God. We'll talk about that in a, in a couple of, uh, next week, actually, when we talk about the renewal of the word of God. And he put upon the heart of Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king, a, a person who would just come and, and, uh, and taste the, the wine of the king before he would actually have to drink it. But Nehemiah was moved for the city of Jerusalem because he knew that it was in ruins and wanted to come and rebuild the city. And Zerubbabel was another significant leader during that time. And he had a burden for the house of God. And this is what we're looking at today. He had a burden for the house of God, as we read in Ezra chapter 3, that he wanted to rebuild not just the house of the Lord, but the altar of the Lord. 
And so we see God moving upon the hearts of these people. So friends, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, please don't harden your heart. If the Holy Spirit is telling you something, don't let it go. God moved by his spirit upon the hearts of heathen kings to let Israel go. God moved upon the hearts of these leaders to be inspired to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls, the altar, the city. And God, by his spirit, is moving upon our hearts right now. And I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you. I know a few things. I sent out a text message uh, this past week. If you're not on our texting, 647-931-0015, just text hello to that. You'll get our text messages. But I sent out a text this week and said, what are you going to try to rebuild for the next two months? And, and a number of you responded, and I was so blessed. We are praying for those requests. A number of you responded in, very, in, in different ways of rebuilding relationships, rebuilding the study of the word of God, rebuilding prayer, rebuilding a number of different things. And so I, I encourage you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, don't let it pass by. Because it was the spirit of God that moved upon these heathen kings and it was the spirit of God that moved upon these leaders and it's the spirit of God that's moving in our hearts and in our lives today as well and in these days. There was lots of opposition, so don't think that it's going to be a walk in the park. As we read today, there was opposition in rebuilding. We'll talk about that in a few weeks' time as well. We'll focus on how the enemies came against Ezra and Nehemiah and others. So there will be opposition, Right? There will be things. You want to get up early in the morning and read your Bible? Well, guess what? You're going to be really tired that first night so that when you get up in the morning, you'll be like, oh, should I, do I need to do this? There will be opposition as the Spirit of God is moving upon our hearts and upon our lives. The enemy is against us. And so we see that as we read through these books, and we'll, we'll read through this in a, in a chronological order as well in a couple of weeks. And so in Ezra 1 and 2, they're heading back to Jerusalem. And the first thing that they do in Ezra chapter 3 is that they rebuild the altar. Now, if you were with us last week, and I want to encourage you as we're doing a, a series on rebuilding, well, these messages are going to be built one upon the other. So if you didn't, weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message because I'm going to connect this week's message into what we heard last week. And so as, as we see the work of rebuilding happening in Ezra chapter 3, I want us to consider the need and the importance of altars. And as I did last week in trying to help us see the larger picture, the larger story arc of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation and the story of redemption of what God is doing in our lives, I want to try to help us to understand the same thing through the rebuilding of altars. And we need to rebuild altars. I know some of you are here today uh, with your family, and it's so great to see so many uh, ones come, uh, come today with your family. But maybe there is a need for a rebuilding of our family altars. Is there a need for a rebuilding of, of an altar in our personal lives, in our family, in our community of faith? I think there is. So as, as, we, look at this, uh, as we look at this chapter, let's see a few things. Number one, the Lord is the initiator, and we respond in altar building. As I've said already, it was the Lord that initiated all of this in moving upon the hearts of these heathen kings. The Lord initiates the process. Now it's up to us to respond. The Lord initiated the process in the hearts of the heathen kings and the hearts of these leaders, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and others. 
And they had to respond. They had a choice to make, and we have a choice to make. As the Lord initiates his work of grace in our lives, how are we going to respond in these days? And we see, we see this in Ezra, in Ezra chapter 1, right? It was the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. The Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus. He moved upon the hearts of these heathen kings. Look at, look at in Nehemiah chapter 2, speaking about what, what God put in the heart of Nehemiah, Nehemiah. He says, I slipped out during the night. He went to look at the, the state of the walls in the nighttime, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. See, God is the initiator. God putting in the heart of Cyrus. God putting in the heart of Nehemiah what he wanted them to do. But there was opposition. Even though God put something in our heart, it doesn't mean it's going to be a cakewalk. There is opposition. Look at what it says in Ezra. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. The enemies heard. Right? The moment that we decide in response to God's initiation, the moment we decide to take that step of faith, guess what? Other people are going to be watching. The enemies are going to be seen, and they're going to try to discourage you. That's what happened to Ezra. Look, he says, then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. If we want to rebuild an altar, if we want to rebuild our, our individual lives of worship, our family lives of worship, our community of faith in worship, there will be opposition, 100%. I've seen it in my life. I know you've probably seen it in your life as well. But the Lord is calling us and he's leading us into a season of rebuilding. As we saw last week with the various covenants, God initiated a covenant with his people at various times and in various stages. And spoiler alert, I gave you the ending of the story about the new covenant, right? The children of Israel didn't have that opportunity to see what would be to come with Jesus and the new covenant. All they saw was the covenants that they had. And so as they came back to Jerusalem, their desire was to renew that Mosaic covenant, that Davidic covenant. They wanted that to be renewed. That's all they knew. Thankfully, we know something bigger and better that came afterwards, right? So I skipped to the end of the story in that. But as, in a very similar way, God making covenants, God also makes altars with his people or his people respond in making altars to God's initiation of making covenants. Look at what it says about Noah. Remember we looked last week at the Noahic covenant and how God made a covenant with Noah. Well, look at Noah's response. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings, the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. Noah's response to God's initiation in making a covenant with him is to build an altar, right? We looked at last week at the Abrahamic covenant. Look at what Abraham does. In God's initiation in making a covenant with Abraham, then what does Abraham do? Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, I won't go into so many other verses, but in our life group questions, you can pick up a copy in the lobby. I've listed out a number of other verses, not just for Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob and others who have built and made altars in response to God's initiated work in their life. And friends, this, this idea of building altars, we'll get to what that looks like and what that means in a New Testament time and for us today, right? I'm not talking about, okay, let all the stonemasons come out now and, you know, let's, you know, let's chop or let's get all the carpenters going. No. 
but we see that this is a tangible response to the moving of the Holy Spirit upon people's hearts. And so I want to encourage you today as well, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, our job is not to be consumers. Our job is not just to listen to God's initiation. Our job is to respond to what he is doing in our lives. It's not, it's not enough for us just to receive. And thankfully, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we can be blessed and, and thankful for all of God's work and blessing in our lives. But there is a response to his initiation in our lives. As he works and makes covenants and builds into us, he's looking for us to respond. And one way is to build an altar. We talked about the Mosaic covenant. Well, when God made a covenant with his people through Moses, through the Ten Commandments and so many other laws that were made, then God said, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. The response after Moses had given them the, the commandments and the laws is make a sanctuary, make a tabernacle, make a place where I can dwell with my people. Years later, when, when Solomon made a, a, built a temple for the Lord, okay, this was in response to, to David, the Davidic covenant that we talked about last week. And David said to the Lord, I want to build you a house. And God said, no, you shed too much blood, but I will build you, David, a house that will last forever. A prophetic message speaking about the coming of Jesus. In response to that, David prepared with all of his heart to build the house of God, even though he wasn't able to. He made all the resources and all the materials ready. And Solomon, his son, ended up building that house. And when the house was finished, look at what it says in 2 Chronicles. When that house of the Lord was finished, it says, the trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. Are these words familiar to you? We just read those exact same words. Doug read it for us in Ezra chapter 3. We'll look at it again in a moment. But when they finished the house of God... When the foundation was made, Zerubbabel and the people said the exact same thing. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. Friends, in the beautiful picture and story arc of the Bible and in the story of redemption, altars play such a significant role. The temple plays such a significant role. We see Noah building an altar. We see Abraham building an altar. We see Isaac building altars. We see Jacob building altars. We see the children of Israel building altars. We see Moses building a sanctuary, a place now. It becomes bigger. It's not, now, not just an altar, but it's a, it's a sanctuary. It's a, a place to congregate. It's a place to gather. It's a place to sacrifice. It's a place to obey the commandments of the Lord. And then Solomon takes it a step higher and says, okay, we're not just going to make a tent. We're going to make a physical building, a structure, a temple where the presence of God can dwell. And so as the children of Israel are coming back to Jerusalem to renew the covenant, they connect the two. Covenants and altars connected. We talked about all the covenants, the, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and I just showed you now all the altars that correspond to that. And so as they come back to Jerusalem now, what is the first thing that's on their mind? We want to renew the covenant with our Lord. We want to come back to that place of worship. So the first thing we need to do is to build an altar. 
And friends, as we're here today, I want to encourage you, think, ask, seek the Lord and say, Lord, what is the altar that you want me to build today? What is the altar that you want me to rebuild? Maybe it's a personal altar, a a place of fellowship and communion with Jesus that he wants to bring you to. Maybe it's a family altar where you bring your family together to pray and to learn the word of God, to read the word of God together, to worship the Lord together. Maybe it's a, it's a community altar here at Unionville Alliance Church in our community of faith. What is our response to corporate worship? What is our response to doing life together? What is our response as a, as a body of believers journeying in the spiritual life together? We were not meant to do this alone. And so as they come into this place, as they come into, uh, into Jerusalem and they're trying to rebuild this altar... They're trying to renew the covenant. They're trying to renew this commitment. They renew it by how? How do they do that? By offering sacrifices, by celebrating the feast. They were looking for a structured way as they were in obedience to the word of God. How many here, you like structure in your life? Anyone here, you like structure in your life? How many here don't like structure in your life? There are some people, right? Don't like structure. Well, do you know, structure is actually good for us. It helps us in the rhythms of our spiritual journey, okay? And so when God instituted sacrifices, when God instituted feasts in the Bible, it was to give the children of Israel a structure and a way in which they could A, sacrifice to the Lord, and B, gather together during the times of the feast to worship the Lord. It kept them in a very disciplined way. And we're going to look at this a little bit more when we talk about spiritual disciplines in a few weeks. But, spirit, but, but structures and rhythms in our life are critical, are important. And if we take what they did in the Old Testament through sacrifice and feast, we can look, look into the New Testament and say, these are disciplines, these are structures and orders that God wants in our lives to help us to be able to walk with him in a diligent way. And that's what needs to be rebuilt. Now, worship can look a whole lot different in a, in, in a post-COVID world. We've said here before many times, we are 100% bought into an in-person experience and 100% bought into an online experience. But what that means for those that come in person and for those that watch online or a, a hybrid approach of both of those is that neither those that come in person and those that watch online should not be consumers. If you come here and just consume and walk away and nothing happens, that's not good. And if you watch online and just watch the service and say, okay, that was great, and leave, that's not good either. In a a post-COVID world, maybe your worship rhythms look a little bit different. Maybe one Sunday you're here. Maybe another Sunday, you know, you're sick or your child is sick, and so you're watching online. Well, praise the Lord for that opportunity to be able to do that. Another Sunday, maybe you're out visiting family at the cottage, and so you're gathering with your family there, and you're saying, hey, let's watch this service together. Let's worship the Lord together. But in all of those expressions and experiences, or, and maybe the next Sunday you're here and you're serving in children's ministry or in, in tech or on the worship team or in some other way, but you're continuing to connect in those rhythms, you're continuing to journey together in a family of faith, you're continuing to journey together as we teach the word of God and as we worship together, and you continue to build one upon the other. And if you weren't here last week, then I'm talking about covenants, and you might think, oh, I'm lost. What's going on, Daniel? Where are these? What do you mean covenants? Well, that's why we journey together step by step, step by step. 
And so whatever it might look like for you in a post-COVID world, I want to encourage you that it shouldn't just be consumerism. What is that step that we're going to take? Whether it's for our personal lives, whether it's for our, our families, whether it's for our church community, we were not meant to do this life alone. And just being a consumer is not the way that God intended worship to be. And building an altar just to consume is not the way that God intended altar building to be. Number two, the temple is a place of gratitude. And so wonderful that this is Thanksgiving weekend. And I want to encourage you, as I said before, take the opportunity to give back. Take the opportunity to be generous. Take the opportunity that in this season of thankfulness that we can come into the house of God, into this altar experience with the, with the spirit of gratitude. We, we've, we look back and we can see the goodness of God. In Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put their robes and took their places to bow their, blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. That's why, we, that's why we're up here and we play the piano and we hit the cymbals on the drums. And we play the guitar and we do all of these things. We're following all, all what they were doing and worshiping the Lord with instruments. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. Does this so song sound familiar? Does it sound familiar, this song? It was the same song they sang a few hundred years ago. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. With a heart of gratitude, they came to the house of the Lord. As they rebuilt the temple, their heart was filled with gratitude. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Keeping a heart of gratitude is so critical. It's so important. We need to be motivated in our rebuilding by love and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. And we need to be careful not to compare it to other times. Ezra 3 verse 12 and 13 says this. But many of the older priests, the Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could, not be, that could be heard far in the distance. We can fall into this trap of, compare, of comparing. Oh, I remember the good old days. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember how it was then. And then we weep and say, oh, I wish it was like that now. Friends, I gave you the spoiler alert already. I told you the ending of the story already. That at the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, there is this unfulfilled hope. At the ending of the story, there's this unrealized hope. <laughs> because it points forward to Jesus. Because it points forward to Christ who fulfills all of these things. But they were looking back. They came, it, it's, if I can give you a little example, say if this whole building just dropped down, God forbid, Let's say this whole building was just destroyed, and then we all went to the youth room, it's just north of us, and we all gathered in there to worship, and we go, oh, I remember how it was over there. <laughs> I had more space. Well, the sound system was better over there than over here. Right? Or can I, can I be real with you all? Oh, I remember when we used to sing the hymns. It was so good. I remember when we did this. Oh, it was so good in the service. Oh, I remember when we did this other thing. Oh, that's how it was 20 years ago when I was in church. Friends, no. 
Don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap of comparison. The Lord said, behold, I do a new thing and it'll spring forth. Behold, I make all things new. Do you want God to do all things old? How many want God to do all things old? So leave the old behind and let God do all things new in our house. Can, we, can, we, can, I, can I get an amen for that at least? Amen. Behold, God makes all things new. They looked back. They saw some of the priests and some of the people. They looked back and said, I remember the glory of Solomon's temple. We read that verse. In Chronicles, we read the verse when the Holy Spirit came down, when the presence of God came, the cloud filled the whole place. The priest couldn't even enter into the temple because the glory of God was so amazing. It was so wonderful. And some of the priests remembered those days and said, remember how it was in the days of Solomon. Remember the glory of that house. No. Friends, don't fall into that trap because we have an opportunity that Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel didn't at that time. We have something that the people there who were weeping didn't have, is that we know the end of the story. And although they were here in the middle, they were looking back and saying, look at that glorious temple, now look at the shabby temple. Look at that glorious experience and look at the shabby experience. But we are standing over here and saying, look at that glorious experience of Solomon, look at that wonderful experience with Zerubbabel. Oh, but you have no idea what it is like to taste of the grace of God. You have no idea what it is like to have a relationship with Jesus. You have no idea what it is like in this new covenant time when God puts his spirit inside of us and gives us a new heart and a new mind and allows us to be true worshipers, to worship him in spirit and in truth, to go into that most holy place, to be able to have free access 24 hours, seven days a week to the very throne of God, to be able to go in as the high priest went in into that place and say Lord here I am Lord speak to me we have an opportunity in this new and living and true temple that God is building where we are the live lively stones those living stones in the house of God we are part of that temple we get the opportunity to see it from here that they didn't get to see here and so they wept and said oh look at that glorious temple ours is nothing like that and so Jesus sets the example for us the example of worship, and he asks us to follow him. On Calvary, Jesus rebuilt the altars that were broken down. On Calvary, Jesus gave us the best example of worship when he hung on the cross and said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus gave the best and perfect example of worship. Hebrews 10 says it this way, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Stay with me here, okay? Don't think about that turkey for a second. All right? Okay, you journeyed with me with covenants, altars, right? Are you with me with the altar? Are you with me with the temples? The temples that the altars that were built by Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, converted into a tabernacle by Moses, converted into a temple by Solomon, changed into another temple by Herod. And that was the temple that was there during Jesus's days. It was called Herod's temple. And this verse says, by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, the Old Testament fulfillment of all of the sacrifices and all of the feasts 
was totally and completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his body. In John chapter 2, when the Pharisees and the, uh, were trying to catch Jesus in his words, this is what Jesus says. He said, all right, destroy this temple. Like, they wanted a sign. So Jesus said, I'll give you this sign. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It's taken us 46 years. That's called Herod's temple. 46 years to build this temple, to build this place of worship, to build this altar. And you can rebuild it in three days. But Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Okay, are you tracking with me here? Altar by, Abraham, altar by Noah, altar by Abraham, connected with the covenants, tabernacle by, by Moses, temple by Solomon, Solomon, temple by Herod, and Jesus says all of those things, altars and temples, are fulfilled in what? My body. My body. All of these things, these Old Testament prophecies, these Old Testament examples, all of this in types and shadows are fulfilled in my body. Jesus' body was the temple of God. His incarnation, Jesus, the Son of God, coming down into this world, the incarnate Christ is the fulfillment of all of the altars and all of the temples. Jesus coming into this world. They longed for the glory of Solomon's temple. But guess what? We have an opportunity to see something that those people didn't. They said, oh, look at the glory of Solomon's temple. And now we have this shabby temple. But then what happened? Jesus came. And what does he say in John chapter 1? So the word became human. Jesus became human. He became incarnate and was made and made his home amongst us. He dwelled with us. The, the Greek word there is he tabernacled among us. He made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Friends, when they saw the glory of Solomon's Solomon's temple, they said, wow, look at the spirit of the Lord. But then somebody came hundreds of years later walking. It was Jesus, the son of God, God made into human form. And they saw the glory of God. They saw the true and living temple. They saw the real altar. They saw Jesus, the son of the living God. And he said, I, I, I am the temple. See the glory of God. Oh, Zerubbabel, oh, Nehemiah, oh, Ezra, if you could only have seen the real fulfillment. The story of Ezra and Nehemiah is just left on a cliffhanger because it's unfulfilled hope. Friends, we see the fulfillment. And so Jesus gives us a charge. He says this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of worship. This is the way to rebuild the altar. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Lastly, and I'll close with this, our bodies... I told you the fulfillment of the temple, the fulfillment of the altars, the fulfillment of the covenants, it was in the body of Jesus, one offering, one sacrifice for all of humanity. But now Jesus says, now the word of God says, our bodies are the temple of God. And so worship is deeply personal, but also profoundly corporate. And I want to leave you with this thought, and I want you to think about this, that worship is deeply personal, but profoundly corporate.
If you come and worship together here in person, if you watch online, both are fine and both are good, but I want you to know that in both experiences, they are deeply personal and profoundly corporate. And you cannot have one without the other. Just as Jesus said that his body was the true temple, now through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus died and rose again, he said, I'm sending my spirit into the world. And so on the day of Pentecost, the spirit of the Lord was poured out into our lives, into our bodies. We are now the temple of the living God. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Are you following with me here? You have Noah making that covenant an altar. You have Abraham making that covenant an altar. You have Moses making that covenant and the tabernacle. You have David preparing for the house of the Lord. You have Solomon building the actual house of God. You have Herod's temple. And then Jesus comes and he says, no, 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 I am the temple of God. Behold the glory of God through the acts and gracious works of love that Jesus did. And now in this New Testament time, he says that we, our bodies... Do you understand how serious this is? Our bodies are the temple of God. You're telling me that we are part of that whole long, that big, beautiful picture, that big, beautiful story arc of the Bible. Now we are part of that. It's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Noah, and, and Moses, and Solomon, and David. It's not just all that, but we also play a role in that. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says it this way in chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? Can you see the difference? Look at this verse. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of God? Deeply personal. Deeply intimate. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? Profoundly corporate profoundly corporate friends life wasn't meant to be done alone and so God is calling us as we rebuild our altar to a personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ but also to a corporate family in which we journey together and that's why I say whether you watch online or whether you come in person just coming as a consumer is not enough what is the action step what is the thing that you are going to do what is your response in building the altar of the Lord, in building your personal altar, in building your family altars, in helping us as a community to build our altar of faith here at Unionville Alliance Church? Worship is deeply personal because the Lord is looking for true worshipers. It's a holistic experience with our body, with our soul, and our spirit. Why do you think I, I've had conversations with Keisha and Colin and our whole staff team as we worship the Lord? I want our worship experience to be holistic. Where with our mind, we engage the Lord as we read and sing those lyrics. That with our heart, we feel the presence of the Lord as he moves and fills and, uh, and empowers us. And with our body, that's, that's why at times we stand and worship. We raise our hands or maybe we kneel down. This idea of worship, our bodies are the temple of the Lord. And so worship is a holistic experience, body, soul, and spirit. And that's why in this new covenant, as we talked about last week, in the new covenant, what does it say? I will put my spirit upon you. I will put my spirit around you. I will send my spirit to help you. No, that's all the Old Testament. 
in this new covenant, I will put my spirit within you so that your body is deeply involved in the intimate worship of our Savior and King Jesus and profoundly corporate as we join together in a body of believers. John said, Jesus said it this way when he was talking to the woman at the well. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. That, that's when Jesus was talking 2,000 years ago. The time is now. Don't let this season of rebuilding pass you by. Don't let this season of renewal pass you by. The time is now. The Spirit of the Lord is here now. Don't let this go by. I plead with you. I urge you. I exhort you as your pastor. I ask you. Don't let this season go by. The time is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The context of this conversation was that Jesus was having this conversation with a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman said, well, you guys, you Jews say that worship should be in this temple. And the Samaritan woman said, but, but our people say that worship should be on this mountain. So Jesus, where is it? Is it supposed to be on this temple? Is it supposed to be on the mountain? Jesus said, hold on. The time is coming when I will pour out my spirit. And guess what happens when, when that takes place? Then our bodies become the temple. That is deeply intimate worship. And profoundly corporate as we are baptized into a body of believers. Don't let this time pass you by. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. See, friends, we are baptized together. The I can't say, I don't need you. I'm okay by myself. No. The leg can't say, I don't need anybody else. I'm okay by myself. No, that doesn't happen. Worship is deeply personal, but profoundly corporate. And so we need one another, regardless of how, how well you think that you can manage on your own. We need one another. The Spirit baptizes us not as individuals into just my own space and time. No. Here it says the Spirit baptizes us into what? Into a body of believers. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. Each of you is part of it. You're all part of it. Peter, you're a part of it. Adeline, you're a part of it. Mark, you're a part of it. Robert, you're a part of it. Anna, you're a part of it. Elaine, you're a part of it. Brandy, you're a part of it. Mike, you're a part of it. Ethan, you're a part of it. Noli, you're a part of it. <laughs> On the last one. All right, thank you, Noli. All of us together are Christ's body. Worship is profoundly corporate. We need one another. We weren't meant to live in isolation. We weren't meant to worship in isolation. We weren't meant to serve in isolation. Come back to personal worship. Come back to corporate worship. For the children of Israel, they came back and built their 
worship around the Sabbath day. Because do you remember what I said last week? They were taken in captivity. Why? They didn't celebrate the Sabbath or the Sabbath year. So they came back. And as they rebuilt the temple, as they rebuilt the altar, they made their, their structure, as I talked about before, their structure and their order around that Sabbath day. And they came back to rhythms of worship. Worship team, please come. Here's the climax. Do you want, do you want to hear the best part? Are you ready for the best part? This is the best part. I 100% guarantee you'll say, Daniel, yes, that was the best part. Are you ready for the best part? Okay, track with me here again. You have Noah and his covenant and altar building. You have Abraham and his covenant and altar building. You have Moses and his covenant and, and, and tabernacle building. You have David and his covenant and, and making... Uh, making space for the house of God, Solomon building it, Herod's temple being built, and then Jesus comes and says, my body is the temple of God, behold the glory of God. Then he pours out his spirit upon all of us, and now we as, the, as our bodies become the temple of God, and now we're part of the body of Christ. And then what comes next? Eternity. And guess what happens in eternity? Look at this. I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I saw no temple, but the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. Worship in eternity is all surrounded upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For eternity, we will be worshiping the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, because we are part of his body forever and ever and ever. Shall we all stand? We're going to sing this song, Heart of Worship. When the, the writer of the song, Matt Redman, he was, uh, he was in his, uh, a church, and the pastor said, you know, our church is getting a little bit lukewarm. Our church is getting a little, you know, we're not really worshiping. So he said, let's cut the music. Let's cut everything else out. We're just going to come and sing a cappella. And we're going to come back to what it truly means to worship. Can I encourage you today? Make a decision to come back to true worship.